So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 5, verse 2. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those who are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Thank you, uh, Dan, for reading uh, that passage of scripture for us this morning. Um, Friends, let's uh, come to God in prayer as we look at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. This morning we pray that you would help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to this word, the word of God. That your word would shape and transform our lives. And Father, we pray your blessing upon the proclamation of this word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you forgive me for my sins. Help me, Lord, to humble myself before you and your people. And to share this word, this precious word, with a wonderful privilege and opportunity to do so. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning uh, we continue our series on the book of Ephesians. If you are a visitor here with us this morning, we, we study different books of the Bible. For example, in our evening service, we are working our way through uh, 1 Corinthians. In our morning services, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. And so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to chapter 5, verse 2, under the topic, How to Live the New Life. This is Part 2 of the message, we looked at part 1 a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, 25 to 28. As Christians, God has taken off the old clothing, so to speak, and has put on new ones. I used the image last time when I shared from Ephesians chapter 4, 29, 28 onwards, that we need to remember as each time we take off our clothes and put on new clothes on the image that we have of Christ giving us new clothes to wear in the new life that we have in Jesus. If you are a Christian here this morning, then you are a new creation in Christ, correct? 
a new work that God has begun in your life and mine by His amazing grace. This new life is a challenging life as well. It will shape the way we live. It will shape our conversations. It will shape our relationships. It will shape how we conduct our day-to-day living with one another. So what does this new life look like in our behavior and practice? Last time we saw that we are to put away the following things. We are to put away lying and speak the truth. Verse 25, chapter 4. When we do get angry, and I'm sure we all get angry from time to time, we are to be careful not to sin in our anger and let the devil get a foothold in our lives. Verses 26, 27. And we are to stop stealing and work so that we can also be generous to those who are in need. In fact, friends, in this section, there are a series of do-nots in this section of scripture here, the entire section. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So we have this do not powerful, strong, direct statements. And so today we're going to continue to, to look at uh, uh, this passage. We're going to look at chapter 4, 29 to 5, 2. And the outline is essentially this. Watch the way we speak, verse 29. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, 30. Put away six things, 31. Qualities that should characterize our behavior, verse 32. And be imitators of God, verse, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So that's the broad outline that we will be following this morning. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open uh, to um, this passage of Scripture. Uh, there are sermon notes that I've handed over to some people this morning. I think there are ex- a couple extra copies as well. Uh, if you want one, uh, please uh, see Alex uh, after the service. During the service, I don't know where he is. But anyway, it's with him, right? So, Okay, so let's look at the first thing. Watch the way we speak. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. See, Paul has already spoken about putting away lying and speaking the truth as we saw last week. And Paul now says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. We speak, don't we? How many words do we roughly speak per day? I don't know. Have you done a count? It's, oh, why is that up there? Okay. We speak a lot of words all the time. Right? We communicate. We write emails. Uh, we are very busy texting as well. I mean, you, you can't really talk to people now because they're with their phones. They're busy texting or, or communicating via Facebook. Right? Uh, we, we make phone calls. We communicate so much. Words all the time. And now Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The word that is used here for corrupting is the word rotten. It means putrefied. It is corrupted. That's the, the original word that is used here. Let no rotten words come out of your mouth. It is used in the literal sense about decayed trees 
which in turn produces rotten fruits. We have a, a basket of fruit uh, in our home at the table, and uh, I always have fruit in the morning as part of my routine. And sometimes I go to this fruit basket and I see an apple that has hmm, got to be rotten. And I think, wow, what's happened to that apple? It's a bad apple. Take it and goes to the bin. Uh, the other day I took some mangoes and I have mangoes. I bought a box of mangoes. No one seems to be enjoying the mangoes at our place. I've hidden it in the fridge, so I have it all the time. But I took this mango out and part of it was rotten out in the bin. And it's not a very pleasant thing to have a rotten mango or an apple. The idea is that of, is similar here. It's, it's a rottenness. It is also used in relation to fish, to rotten fish. So what is prohibited here, what Paul is saying is, let no rottenness, let no putrefied, corrupt words come out of your mouth. And this language here is, we could translate it in the following ways. It could be shown in terms of being abusive language, vulgar language, filthy language, corrupt language. You see, friends, we live and function in an environment where offensive language seems to be the norm. Our ears can be desensitized to such filthy language. Sadly, some movies are filled with language that is rotten. You enjoy a movie, I watch it sometimes, and then I think, why do you have to swear like this? Why do you have to put such filthy words? You don't need to do that. Let us enjoy the movie well. But it's there. You hear it in the workplace. Perhaps at university, at school, on the train, at sporting events. If you're at the footy, you'll hear it. If you're at the cricket, you will hear it. It's there. What about the soccer match last week, friends? 99,000 odd people at the MCG. I'm sure language would have been fine out there. Perhaps not. But it's always there, isn't it? And Paul is saying, watch your words. You see, Paul did minister in an environment and culture where filthy speech and entertainment was part of the Roman world. It was part of the Roman culture. They would use these words. It was part of their, their vocabulary. So not to speak as, as, the cult, as their culture did was countercultural as well. And so, in fact, Paul uh, in, will speak further about this in chapter 5. But here he says, let no putrefied, let no rotten words come out of your mouth because the way we speak reflects our new life in Christ and is a powerful witness of a transformed life. And brothers and sisters in Christ, when the Lord converts us, I believe that he also touches our lips, right? He should and he must touch our lips. When the Lord converts us, he touches our Lips, he converts our tongues, our language changes, our conversation changes, our tone and tenor of conversation changes. Putrefied words become changed by transformed grace. So how should we speak? Our talk should not be, uh, 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 our talk should be one that builds up people and not to be rotten, putrefied and corrupted words. And how then should we use words? Notice what Paul says, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear them. What a, what a beautiful picture that is. That it may give grace to those who are hearing your words. 
that it may give grace to your conversations in your home, when the temperature rises in your home, and when things start to get hot and heated up in the kitchen, or in wherever in the home. How do we control our words? The way we speak. It can change the tone and tenor of the day. And it can change the mood, not just of yourself, of those around the room as well. Does it not? And it's a challenge. And only God can continue to do that work in our lives. So we are to be careful how we use our words. Send an email, a text message, social media, whatever the medium might be. Our words are to be driven by grace. And that's what Paul is saying here. Part of the new life, uh, the way we speak. Secondly, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, we are not really certain as to why Paul introduces the Holy Spirit in this context here. It could be because the way we speak to others can bring harm and damage to the body of Christ and therefore cause grief to the Spirit who indwells us. The word here, to grieve, do not grieve, means do not make, do not make sorrowful, do not cause grief, do not bring sadness. And Paul is saying, do not bring sadness, do not bring sorrow, do not bring grief to the Holy Spirit of God. See, friends, you can't grieve an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has personality. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. The Holy Spirit guides, searches the hearts of people. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is a person, the third person in the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And Paul said this already in Ephesians chapter 1. If you look at that passage in Ephesians chapter 1, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God indwells you, seals you, marks you in Christ, and sets you apart as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to come. That is, that you are now sealed as a believer in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's hard to comprehend it. How could the Spirit of God indwell a person? It's one of those amazing mysteries again that we see in the scriptures, a work of grace, that the Spirit of God indwells you and gives you the power, gives me the power to live that transformed life. You see, if you're a Christian, you are not alone on this journey. Because by ourselves, we will fail, yeah? By ourselves, my words will fail. By ourselves, I will get angry and sin. But the Spirit of God is able to do that work of change and transformation from our mind and in my soul because the Spirit of God indwells me. And Paul is saying, do not grieve, do not bring sorrow, do not bring sadness, do not bring grief to the Spirit who indwells your life. Let me just highlight some ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's grieved by any corrupt talk. He's grieved when he sees us lying instead of speaking the truth. He's grieved when he sees us sin in our anger. He's grieved when we slander. 
He is grieved when there is malice. And you can see the list here in this passage as well. And Paul says, says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for eternity. And then he moves on and talks about in verse 31, the six things that we should get rid of. All bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Six things. Now this is not a comprehensive list by any shape, but for this passage, here we have it. The first one is bitterness. Jerry Bridges, in his uh, book, Respectable Sins, says this about, about bitterness. Oh, did I get that? Where am I going? Okay. Bitterness is resentment that has grown into a feeling of ongoing animosity. Whereas resentment may dissipate over time, bitterness continues to grow and fester, developing an even higher degree of ill will. It is usually the long-term reaction to real or perceived wrong when the initial anger is not dealt with. See, bitterness is like a poisonous plant that can root, can root down in a person's life. And so the author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, 15, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The root of bitterness, friends, symbolizes anger that festers along the way. It can grow to become foul and poisonous. It can choke the life out of our souls. It can rob you and myself of our joy and our love for others. And when we harbor grudges or fail to forgive others, a root of bitterness can grow deep and affect not only ourselves, but also those around us. Are you a bitter person? Am I a bitter person? Not just you, I'll put, put it this way. Are we bitter this morning? Is there a root of bitterness in our lives? Is there a root of bitterness in our relationships? Maybe because of what someone said, what someone did, something unresolved in your life, and you're carrying that bitterness in your heart. And as you let the root of bitterness grow deeper, it will rob you. It will rob you of that joy. And sadly, there are bitter people. And you see their bitterness in the way they speak, the way they act, unresolved anger, unresolved issues, and everything that comes can be corrupt and angry and bitter, bitter against God perhaps, bitter against the church, bitter against the family, bitter against someone else. I don't know. This morning as I was, I mean I prepared this text uh, this past week and I was out this morning. I was praying, oh Lord, search my heart today. See if there is any bitterness within me. Take it out because I don't want to live a bitter life. It's a terrible place to be in. Bitterness. Then he goes, goes on to speak about wrath. As mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this is an anger as getting to a boiling point. It is an anger that goes up in smoke. 
Just as I mentioned a few weeks ago, it's just like blowing the head gasket of your car. And it smokes. And it causes chaos. And your engine doesn't work. Apply that to your life and mine. As we get anger and it boils over and your gasket has blown. There's smoke coming out of your ears. Um, not really, but you know what I mean. And it happens. Wrath. There's anger. It proceeds. The, the other one is the word anger. And we, we went through some of these things. And an internal disposition. And steadfastly opposes someone or something. Get rid of clamor. There is a crying or outcry. What we note here with this word is that of a lack of restraint in view here. And so it could be translated as brawling. There are brawls. Church fighting. Brawls within the body of Christ. We hear funny and sad stories at times. Fist-ups going on in the car parks. Never happened here. I hope it never does, but I've heard of that story. It happens. Brawling. Slander. This word is also used when one speaks against God. The, the, the word for slander is the word blasphemy. But in the context here, it is abusive language or cursing or defamation of someone's good reputation by spreading gossip about the person. And then he moves on to speak about malice. Ill will, desire to injure. Six things that Paul says that we need to put away. Get rid of these things. How do we do it? By the Spirit of God who indwells us. And asking God to do that work of taking away that bitterness, that wrath, that anger, that clamor, that slander, that malice. Just a few weeks ago, on a Sunday afternoon, I had to do a funeral service. And I went to this funeral parlor, about three weeks ago actually. And then after the service, um, it, was, it was in fact raining, but they had these white helium balloons that the undertaker gave to everyone that passed by. Said, okay, let's go out and put these balloons up. So I asked the person, what do you, see, what do you mean by, what's, what's the significance of this? Oh, this is when the spirits fly. Okay, that's interesting. All right. But I looked at it this way. For myself, this is, I'm trying to get another illustration here. It, it, it's, it's like letting our bitterness fly away, just like a helium balloon. You say, Lord, I give this over to you. It's in your hands. Shape, take that away. Take that bitterness away. Take that wrath away from me. Take that anger away from me. Take the spirit of clamor away from me. Take the spirit of slander away from me. Take that malice from me. It's like that helium balloon. I just let it go to you, Lord. Heal me. Touch me. Change me. Transform me. Daily. So that I may reflect the beauty of my Savior in my life. And in my relationships, that the new life of Christ will begin to transform this sinner to a complete new work of grace that God can do in your life. And my dear friends, what a transformation that will be for families in our country. Is that not the case today? We hear of so much of domestic violence. Isn't that sad? How sad we hear of... We can't... I mean... Uh, I don't know what circumstance it was of a child being killed by its own mother recently. The amount of domestic violence 
the fighting that goes on in homes, with men being abused and bashed. And social engineering will say, do this and do social ethics and teach this. And no one's saying bad, anything bad about that. But ultimately, friends, it is Christ, don't you think so? Who could transform lives. It is Christ who can transform marriages, correct? It is Christ who can transform relationships between a parent and a child, a husband and a wife, because I need to learn what it means to forgive. I need to learn what it means to wash my mouth the way I would speak to my wife or to my, to my children. I need to learn and I need to bring myself under the Lordship of Christ. How I deal with you as God's people, as His precious gift to us as pastors. You can ask John, we always pray for you on Fridays when we meet. We pray and we know, friends, that we have a precious people of God, that God has given under our care, that I never, ever take for granted. And I'm sure, same with John, it's a wonderful privilege to serve you as God's people. And so if we fail, come and, if I fail, come and tell me. Chris, I feel hurt about what you did or said or whatever. We can always talk about it. Don't keep that bitterness or whatever in our lives. Qualities that we should characterize our behavior. Look at verse 32. What a contrast. <laughs> what do we see there? Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ. What is it? What is the text saying there? God in Christ. Forgave you. You see, real forgiveness is tough. I think of the situation of this wonderful lady, and that's what I'm going to bring up there. The great Dutch missionary, Corriton Boom, uh, where we have the story of of forgiveness. Uh, This is an excerpt from uh, I'm Still Learning to Forgive by Corriton Boom. Let me tell you the story very quickly. It was uh, in, in a church in Munich, Germany in 1947. That Corriton Boom, the great Dutch missionary, gave a message about the God who forgives. She had come from Holland and defeat the, to, to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives, which truth these people needed most to hear. She gave them a favorite mental picture by referring to the sea because she said that it was never far from a Hollander's mind. The sea. She liked to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, she said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And when she had finished speaking, friends, she saw a man who she described as a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. She saw him making his way forward towards her. One moment, she says, she saw the overcoat, the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a cap with all its skulls, with its skull and crossbones marked on it. It all came back to her with a rush. The huge room with its harsh, overheated lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. She saw her sister's frail form body ahead of her, with her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy 
How thin you were, she cried and said to her sister. Betsy and Corriton Boom had been arrested for concealing Jews in their home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Their Corrie and her sister and others were kept in this camp. Her sister Betsy died at the camp. And now, this man stood in front of Corriton Boom and stretched out a fine message. Fraulein, she, he said. How good it is to know, he said, that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said, and I was a guard there. And then he said this, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Boom stood there saying to herself. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven. And I could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there. Hand held out. But to me she says it seemed hours. As I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that she, that this is what God would want me to do. And then, she put out her hand. And said, I forgive you. Friends, Colton Boom says, since the end of the war. I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars were. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much more. And so she did it. A wooden mechanical hand as it were. I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. I did an incredible, it took an incredible courage to do this. And the current started to flow in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. To my hands, I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long time, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I thought to myself, how would I have responded? How would you have responded? If you were in that camp and you had to walk naked in front of this man, and your sister or your brother was killed in the concentration camps. And those of you who have been to Germany, it's a terrible place to go to some of those camps. I was there last this year. It, 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 it took a couple of days for us to emotionally get over the visit. I can tell you that. Because it hit us hard. And I tell you, friends, here is, here is forgiveness in action. And what caused this lady to do it? It was because Christ... You see, Paul says here, forgive 
That's what we have here in our text here, isn't it, this morning? Let no corrupt talk come out of you, etc., etc. But forgive, get rid of all bitterness. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. That's kingdom forgiveness, friends. How has God forgiven us? It is in Christ. One writer puts it this way. Jesus defines kingdom forgiveness as voluntary incursion of loss of that which is owed to release another from obligated payment. This is the distinctive of kingdom forgiveness in opposition to the world's forgiveness. A Christian incurs personal loss for the good of another, knowing that Christ did so for us on the cross. Yes, sin has its consequences and the wages of sin is death. Sure, there are consequences for one's actions and justice and discipline must be, dis- must be delivered where necessary. I'm not saying no to that. There's a consequences for actions. But even under such circumstances, at the heart of the Christian, there must be the desire and the grace to forgive. Are you holding a grudge? Are you, are we an unforgiving people? Am I an unforgiving person? You see, the psalmist says this. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Notice what Paul says. God in Christ has forgiven you. And how has this happened? He sent his son Jesus into the world. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want you to know on the basis of God's word that you don't have to live an unforgiven life. That your sins have been nailed to the cross. Your sin and my sin is serious to God. And this God forgives and he has forgiven us in his son Jesus. And at the cross, Jesus, God's perfect son, gave his life. And those who turn to him in repentance and in faith and in trust are forgiven. This is the, the heart. This is the message of the Christian gospel. It is the gospel of grace. It is the gospel of forgiveness. It's the gospel of God's amazing love. It's the gospel of God's amazing compassion, His mercy, and His justice. God in Christ has forgiven us. So forgive. If God has forgiven me so much and still continues to do so, who am I to hold back forgiving someone else? Can you? That's, the, that's what Paul is saying here, friends. You see, we don't have to work our way up to be forgiven by keeping rules and regulations and living in fear of our sins and guilt. We cannot pay for our sins, no matter how much you may try, no matter how much you might think you're such a good person. I'm a good person. I don't speak like this. I don't gossip. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm a good person. My dear friends, our goodness will never be good enough for God. Correct? Only the goodness of Christ is accepted by the Father. It is the goodness of God in Jesus 
that makes it possible to be forgiven of all our sins and to be set free. The liberating message of the gospel is, I am set free in Christ. Are you rejoicing in that this morning? Is there a joy in your heart today to know that God has dealt with your sin and mine? We cannot pay for it. And then Paul says, finally, be imitators of God. 5, 1 and 2. Imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why would Paul say this? What does it mean to be imitators of God? You see, an imitation is a copy which is based upon an authentic original, right? And there are many examples of imitation items around. For example, one of my friends, uh, is, he, he has a Rolex watch. And I had coffee with him uh, recently. He's my mentor, my spiritual mentor, an older man who guides me and I talk with him. And he said, you know, Chris, this, this watch is worth about $6,000. I don't know. Maybe it is. But I'm sure if you go to some other countries in the world, you'll find a Rolex watch worth 50 bucks maybe. But is it, really the, is it really the authentic Rolex watch? I don't know. It's hard to say the difference, isn't it? Or you might buy a pair of Nike shoes. It looks Nike. But it may not be the real original thing. There's so many imitation things around. Kathmandu. I went to look at a jacket the other day. It was $250 or something. I thought, wow, that's expensive. What if I go to some other place? I might pick one up for 20 bucks. And has still the Kathmandu sticker on it. It looks impressive. Come on, nobody's going to say this is from wherever it is. The imitation thing, right? It almost looks like the authentic thing. You see, Paul is saying here, the point here is that we are to be imitators of God who is the authentic and true living God. He is not a false God. According to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Paul, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. Paul's supreme argument, the highest level of all in all in doctrine and in practice, the ultimate ideal is this one, to be imitators of God. And the question then is, how are we to imitate God? How is one to be an imitator of God? The God who is eternal, sovereign, pure, holy and perfect. We can't. I think the immediate context helps us understand what Paul is saying here. These words flow from what has been just said in these verses. Notice how Paul ties this call to imitate God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That is, be imitators of God who has forgiven us in Christ and made us his children. The idea here then is to be imitators of God, that is, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We imitate God just as he has forgiven us, so we also ought to forgive others. That's the picture here. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But what does it look like, friends, to walk in love? To walk in love in this context is one of forgiveness. We can measure love by our forgiveness. A walk of love is one that is kind, tender-hearted and forgiving. And then it flows into our relationships at home, within the family, within the church family, into the wider world of relationships. The love of God has been displayed for all the world to see in and through his son. This is a beautiful picture here that Paul is painting for us. 
at the cross, both the love of God, the justice of God was met, and a fragrance. Notice the word what Paul uses here. He says this, isn't it, in verse 2. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, friends, in the Old Testament, I'll say this very quickly, at the temple, when the sacrifices were made, it was a, a fragrant offering to God. The smells from the place was a, a atonement for sacrifice for sin. And Paul is painting a picture here that Christ now is a fragrant offering to God. One writer puts it this way, the sweetest fragrance, the most beautiful aroma that God has ever detected emanating from this planet was the aroma of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that was offered once for all on the cross. Well, in summary, this morning we have seen what it means to live the new life in Christ by watching the way we speak to each other, verse 29, by not grieving the Holy Spirit, verse 30, we are to put away six things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Instead, we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The reason is, as God in Christ forgave us. And we are to be imitators of God in this forgiveness. In conclusion, friends, let me ask you this morning, and ask the question for myself as well. Is there anything in our hearts this morning? Is there a root of bitterness? Is there unresolved anger? Is there clamor? Is there slander, malice in my heart, in yours? Let's pray that God will help us to be kind to one another. To be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. To be imitators of God. And pray that God through His Spirit... We continue to do that new work of grace in your life. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, I ask you, I encourage you today to think about what God has done for you in Jesus. That His Son died in your place so that you can be forgiven and set free to enjoy the peace, the joy, the comfort, the hope that comes in Christ. And what a life that is. What a life that will be. I pray God's blessings for us as we live this new life by the power of His Spirit. May God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just pray this morning that you would search our hearts right now. For those of us who know you, Lord, we pray that you continue to transform our lives, that the beauty of Christ will shine forth in our relationships one with another, in the wider world we live in. There is anyone here this morning who is bitter, angry, dealing with issues, complex issues in their lives, and not knowing whom to turn to, Lord. I pray that such a person would come to Christ to be forgiven, liberated, set free. For burdens are lifted at Calvary in Christ. For Lord, please shape and transform our conversations and our conduct. 
that we might walk in love. In Jesus' name, Amen.